Hi there and welcome to another Osler podcast. My name's Todd Fraser. Joining me today is Leanne Chappell. Leanne is the Senior Critical Care Dietitian at the Royal Adelaide Hospital and an NH and MRC Early Career Fellow at the University of Adelaide. And she joins me today to talk about her work in protein synthesis and kinetics in critically ill patients. Leanne, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for having me. Leanne, what do we know about the nutritional status of patients who are admitted to intensive care? Sure. So we know that feeding patients can be really challenging in ICU. There's a lot of barriers. They're often fasting. Um, they often have delayed gastric emptying. Um, so even though it seems simple that we can just feed them through a tube, they're often it's really hard to, to meet their nutritional requirements or what we think we should provide them. Now, there's a, a link between nutritional status and nutritional delivery and functional outcomes, isn't there? Can you tell us about that? Yeah, I guess this is an area that's quite new. Um, we know, you know, in other hospital patients that um, malnutrition is a, is a problem and can affect long-term outcomes, you know, length of stay in hospital and recovery. Um, in ICU, we know that about 50% of patients are malnourished before they even come in to ICU. Um, and we know that they can lose a lot of muscle while they're in ICU. At the moment, we don't know whether nutrition can help with that. Um, it's something that we you know, think is important. And you know, in other populations, providing extra protein can help um, reduce the amount of muscle that patients lose. But we don't know if that's effective in ICU at the moment. We do know that not having enough um, or losing that muscle in ICU has long-term implications for our patients. So they lose about 30% in the first 10 days of ICU for patients who are mechanically ventilated. Um, and patients, even five years after discharge from the hospital setting, still report problems with muscle weakness. And, and that has long-term impacts on their functional recovery. I guess the first step in teasing all of this out is to understand what the kinetics of the various nutrients is. What do we know about absorption of um, uh, carbohydrates, lipids and proteins in critical illness? Often as dietitians or as health professionals, we think that what we give patients nutritionally is, is what they get. Um, but we don't necessarily think about what happens in the gut. Um, we know that it's often delayed. I mean, 50% of patients will have delayed gastric emptying. Um, but then we almost think that if it's getting through there, if their gastric residuals are fine and they're not vomiting, then all of those nutrients are going into the intestine and getting absorbed. But that's not really the case. Um, so Professor Marianne Chapman's research group at the Royal Adelaide Hospital that I'm a member of have shown that even if you feed duodenally, um, that lipid and glucose absorption is impaired in critically ill patients when compared to health. Um, up until now, protein hasn't really had as much attention. Um, obviously, protein metabolism, metabolism is a little bit more complex than um, lipids or glucose as it you know, and, um, goes into amino acids and into muscle metabolism. So it's something that hasn't been quantified um, overly well quite yet. I guess um, it makes sense that there's a focus on protein when we're talking about functional recoveries. Uh, and you mentioned glucose and lipids there. What do we know about protein? Sure. Um, so there have been a couple of studies, I guess, um, or historical studies that have looked at nitrogen balance. And we know that nitrogen balance is negative in critically ill patients. Um, and we think that giving more protein might help with that. That hasn't really been shown. Um, but nitrogen balance, 
is a, a test that you look at the amount of nitrogen in the urine over a 24-hour period, um, and it's not overly sensitive. Um, there's also been a few other studies, mostly coming out of Sweden um, and some in Switzerland, that have looked at um, whole body turnover. So we can measure from the plasma using stable isotope techniques um, how much of the whole body is turning over. So that includes your organs, um, your, you know, your gut, as well as your muscle. Um, so that doesn't really tell us a whole lot about how much of the protein that we're delivering is actually absorbed or utilised by the muscle. It just tells you that, that there's a, a lot of turnover happening within ICU patients. So your recent work is looking at uh, protein kinetics in a lot more detail. Can you tell us about the work that you've been doing? Sure. So not published quite yet. That's still the manuscript still on my desk, unfortunately. Um, but we have in the last probably two to three years conducted quite a complex study. Um, our group is used to doing very difficult pathophysiological studies, but this one definitely has topped the cake um, as far as my experience has gone. So we've been collaborating with a group in the Netherlands, um, Professor Luke Van Loon and Dr Imre Kau over there who are specialists um, in muscle metabolism. Um, they're starting to dabble a little bit in the really sick patients, um, particularly ICU. Um, so um, with their help, we've been able to get access to an intrinsically labelled protein, which is a milk protein that comes from a cow that has had labelled amino acids provided to them, and then they collect the milk and we can use that to deliver to our patients. Um, the benefit of that type of protein is in the past, studies have used just free amino acids that have been labelled, but that doesn't tell you how they might, how patients might react to a whole protein and the digestion and absorption of those whole proteins is very different to a free amino acid. Um, so using that milk protein, which um, Dr Imre Kaur brought over from the Netherlands in um, 32 little tins of white milk powder, which is interesting getting through customs, um, we've been able to do a study looking at muscle metabolism in critically ill patients compared to health. Um, so just to run through the, the study day, it was uh, quite a lengthy study day. So we recruited patients um, in the morning of the study um, through our pharmacy, um, the clinical trials pharmacy at the Royal Adelaide. They were able to produce us um, some intrinsic, uh, sorry, some intravenous amino acids that we provided to the critically ill patients as well as the healthy volunteers over a 12-hour period. So that tells us how much amino acids is in the system. Um, we then put in a post-pyloric tube, both in the ICU and the healthy volunteers, and fed this intrinsically labelled duodenal milk protein over a 60-minute period. Um, we took arterial blood samples. So our volunteers, who were very brave, also had an arterial line put in, and we took about 17 blood samples over the 12-hour study period, and then we took three muscle biopsies as well. So that was um, using the Bergstrom technique, which is a, just a small muscle biopsy taken from the quadricep muscle. Um, so we're engaging with our ICU registrars to assist with that at the bedside. Um, and that could tell us how much of that duodenal protein could get into the, into the plasma, so how much was digested and absorbed, and then how much actually made it into the muscle. So with the, the three muscle biopsies, we could tell um, the basal, so the fasting muscle metabolism, as well as how much of that protein was used to synthesize muscle. So it was quite a complex study, a lot involved, and a lot of helpful hands to make something like that, particularly in ICU feasible. Now, you looked at um, changes in 
protein kinetics both at fasting and postprandial phases. What's the usual difference? Like, why do you look at the at those two specific scenarios? Um, I guess part of the reason is to really see how much of that protein can be utilised. So. If you don't have an understanding of what's going on in a fasting state, you can't see how much of that has actually been, how much the the muscle synthesis on top has happened. If we showed that the basal synthesis rates were different between ICU and health, it might just be that the the healthy is always synthesising more and so you can't really ascertain how much of that protein has been synthesised. So what were the results of the trial? Um, So they were really interesting and uh, quite different to what we expected. So we thought given that lipids and glucose um, had an impaired digestion and absorption, we thought the same thing would happen with protein. Um, But we've actually found that the digestion and absorption, and we measured that from the amount of the labelled amino acids appeared in the plasma, was similar between the two groups. So it seems that ICU patients really don't have a problem with the actual digestion and absorption of of whole milk protein when it's provided into the duodenum. It might be different if it's provided gastrically, if they've got some um, delayed gastric emptying, but if um, put postpolarically, then they were able to to get those amino acids into their plasma. Um, From there, we did see that the amount of um, amino acids that were available, so how much within the plasma were the same between the two groups, but the amount of muscle synthesized was much lower in um, the critically ill patients. So we could actually see that the amount of protein-derived amino acids that were incorporated into that quadricep muscle biopsy was 40% lower in ICU than in health. Um, So what we think that means is that these critically ill patients, um, even though they they have all the amino acids available that they need, they're just not um, being able to use that effectively. So they might have a, a degree of anabolic resistance to the dietary protein we provided. Liam, what sort of uh, implications are there for this finding, do you think? Yeah, I guess um, we still need to understand why that's the case. Um, so it might be that we need to feed patients more protein and have more amino acids available in their system because they can't um, use fat to build muscles effectively. Um, it might be that there's a problem with the, the amino acid transporters that take the amino acids from the plasma into the muscle or into the muscle cell, or it might be a synthesis problem. So um, our group uh, are looking at getting funding to, to do some future studies um, around anabolic factors that might help um, improve the muscle synthesis, such as things like insulin or, um, you know, there's a lot of talk about leucine or those other branch-chain amino acids. Um, to start with, we're doing a study looking at dose. So I have a PhD student, um, Dr. Tej Murthy, who's an IC registrar with us, and she's going to be doing a study using very similar techniques to this one, um, comparing a 20 versus a 40 gram dose. So we're going to double the amount of protein we provide the critically ill patients and see if they can effectively use that to synthesise muscle. If one of the problems is driving um, uh, muscle anabolic activity, as it were, um, are there, is there any role for uh, hormonal therapies, for example, like growth hormone, thyroid hormone and the like that promote um, anabolic uh, synthesis? Is, have those things been tried in clinical practice yeah. in the past? Um, 
I don't know about – I think there has been some studies with growth hormone in ICU. I don't know if it's been around muscle metabolism. I know um, other populations such as diabetes um, and similar anabolic resistance issues, um, there has been some studies in growth hormones. I don't think the results have been over, overly favourable though. Um, so, yeah, there are a lot of potential strategies. Um, but seeing how they work in the intensive care setting uh, yet to be shown. Leanne, aside from busily beavering away writing your manuscript, what's next in uh, in your research program? Sure. So like I mentioned, we'll be doing this study looking at two different protein doses. Um, so that's one of the things that we're working on. Um, this study also forms... Um, just one of many in a, a program of research that we're doing um, as part of the target um, collaborative group around protein. So we've done a few point prevalence studies, some observational work looking at how much protein is actually delivered to critically ill patients in Australia and New Zealand. Um, and we've recently finished the target protein feasibility study that compared um, a standard protein to a protein intense um, formula that we did in collaboration with Nutrisha. Um, and was funded by the Hospital Research Foundation at the Royal Adelaide Hospital. Um, so that was 120 patients that we randomised across Australia and New Zealand to the two protein doses. Um, and from that, um, we'll be planning target protein, so a definitive randomised control trial. So um, we're looking at potentially recruiting around 40,000 patients, so much larger than any other um, nutrition trial in ICU, that's for sure. Um, and we're currently seeking funding from the NHMRC with um, support from Nutrition at the moment. Now, these sorts of um, research programs don't just happen, do they? Is there anyone that you'd like to mention at this point in time? Yeah, um, I guess I'm a, a, a member of quite a large research group at the Royal Adelaide Hospital that have made these sorts of things possible. So the, the physiology work that we do is um, done within our local research group that contains um, a dietitian, Matt Summers. We've got some research scientists. Um, we've had a couple over the duration of this study, but they're there spinning the plasma samples, taking them from the art line. So these sort of studies wouldn't be possible without them. Um, and obviously all our ICU registrars that have been taking the, the samples. Um, Marianne Chapman has obviously been leading the research group here at the RA um, and all of the, the target protein work or um, the, the physiology work that we do couldn't happen without the relationship she's developed within the unit. Um, and obviously all the clinical staff and, and patients and their families that support these trials wouldn't happen without them. I'd also like to thank our collaborators in Maastricht University. I have had the pleasure of going over there before the lockdown um, of the borders happened to analyse some of the muscle samples that we've sent over. So this study wouldn't have made, been made possible without Professor Luke Van Loon and his team um, at Maastricht University. Leanne, thanks very much for joining us on the podcast and sharing uh, this insight into your work with us. Not a problem. Thanks very much for having me. Thanks for joining me today on the podcast. For more great interviews just like this, visit our website at www.oslocommunity.com.